Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, brought to you by the parent company, Grow Program. Grow Program helps agents utilize online tools to help market and brand their agency online. Find out more information at www.growprogram.com. Also remember, we have a very strict antitrust and comments policy. You can find those policies online at agentsinfluence.com. Now, let your voice be the sound of your feet upon the ground. Let's go. Hey, this is Jason Cass again with Agents Influence, and uh, this is our third podcast of our series for the month on commissions and pay structure. Uh, we've had a couple other talkers that are speakers, excuse me, that uh, have come on and expressed uh, their opinions and their ideas and their thoughts about this issue. And I, I think you know I've tried to get a good mix for everybody out there, and I think uh, you're going to like this. Uh, he's 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 coming from another approach, a different angle. Um, it's something that I know that a lot of people have thought about out there. Um, but the thing that the reason why I wanted Howard is first of all I've kind of fa- uh, followed Howard a little bit on my own. Uh, so when he commented on the uh, comment section at agentinfluence.com, where you please uh, feel free to throw your comments out there, he even reported to me. I contacted him because I had a lot of uh, agents who were emailing me and commenting, kind of echoing his statement and his thoughts. So uh, I called Howard, and Howard was uh, more than happy to do it. And as you're going to see, Howard even had some people contact him, or you're going to hear, excuse me, you're not going to see anything, it's a podcast. But uh, I I think you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started here. And uh, like you say, his name is Howard Camdage. He is with H.E. Camdage, I'm sorry, Camdage, uh, his name. And uh, he's a consultant that does a lot of things. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but uh, I just want to welcome Howard to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason. Okay, Howard, if you could just kind of give us a little background of who you are, when you started, and tell us your story. People love stories, and we want to hear about you. Well, I have a relatively odd background. I actually owned a commercial fishing boat up until 1979. Wow. And I left the fishing industry through marine surveying, and I wanted to use the experience I had in the maritime industry in some other field, so I thought I would either wind up in banking or insurance, and it turns out I wound up in insurance, and I'm glad I did. I became an agent for a number of years, close to 15 years, owned uh, part of one agency where I was for about 10 years and worked up through management, and that agency was subsequently sold. Then I went to work as a regional uh, marketing manager for Hanover, and I spent four years, and they actually worked with me to put me on my own about 17 years ago. And since then, I've been a consultant doing a selection of things. I do still do a lot of insurance industry training. I, I do a lot of mergers and acquisitions because that's a direction that I was pushed in. I do a lot of agency appraisals. I'm a business appraiser. I do a lot of E&O expert witness work and some management consulting with a number of agencies. So my background has lent itself well to my being in the distribution business, but being in it in the respect that I'm a problem solver for agencies. That's where my expertise really lies, Jason. 
Well, Howard, it doesn't seem like you've done much. <laughs> uh, so, no, that's fantastic. And, you know, that is probably one of the reasons why, you know, your comments online really resonated with uh, a lot of, of our followers. And, um, and, and, you know, one of the things that you talked about, uh, how long have you owned your own consulting business? Uh, 17 years. 17 years. Okay, I got you. That's what I was thinking about what you had said, but I wasn't sure there. One of the things, we'll talk right about your comment and get into it, um, that you that you stated, which I pro- I think was pretty fascinating, is you, you talked about a commission-based uh, a structure versus a fee-based. And, and, you know, you kind of weave that into how that not only affects the agent, but also the agency and in a little bit of the relationships with the companies. And that's really what we're all about here at Agents Influences. It's just not about agents. It's not just about producers. It's about the whole industry. So you, you talked a little bit in here about some of your consulting projects. And it occurred many years ago that a competitor had uh, come to you with a nonprofit in- entity and, and asked you to do risk management and recommended some change. So why don't you tell me a little bit and tell the listeners about that? It's a fascinating story. When I was working for the competitor, I'd been a licensed consultant for some time, and I had not done a lot of consulting work. I used the consulting leads as an agent and would often write the account. And one of our competitors, a friendly competitor, came to me and asked me to do this consulting job. He expressed some surprise when this was years ago that the fee for the consulting was at $100 an hour, that he was in the wrong business. The thing that struck me was that I think I charged around $7,500 for the project and did a really professional risk analysis for these people. And the agent implemented all the changes. And I think the, the 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 focus of his question to me about doing the consulting, I said, why don't you do it yourself? And he said, well, there's not enough commission in it to make it worth my time and effort. <laughs> when I was through, I charged $7,500, and I got it once. He made about $12,000 annually commission on the account. So it shows to me the the nature of commissions. While they're measurable and they're manageable, they don't necessarily reflect proper compensation for the expertise. Makes sense. I, I see what you're saying. It, there's not really a good relationship. As I said in my comments on the, the site, there's an inverse relationship. I never, in another instance, I obviously, from my commercial fishing background, I'm a marine expert, and I had a large marine account, and we managed their risk. They had uh, a risk management department and had claims people, so we managed to give them a, a pretty substantial hold retention for the, the hulls of the boats and, and a pretty substantial uh, liability retention. And over the period of about six years, we saved them insurance premium on the order of about $300,000 by setting up a, a sinking fund for them from which they paid a lot of their own claims. So we changed their cost of risk significantly. My reward for doing that was that my commissions went from $55,000 to about $17,000 annually. Woo! So I still had all of the work of managing the account, but I had way less than half the commission. So doing the job and impacting the cost of risk for the client properly 
cost me a lot, cost me and my agency a lot of money. Because you were more fee-based on that, am I correct? I was commissioned on this. Oh, you were commissioned on that, I apologize. I was commissioned, I was the agent. Gotcha. And because of the work, I saved the yes. client a lot of money, which obviously cost my commission. Gotcha, yes, yes, yes. It's, it doesn't... I, I'm a, gr a great fan of agents. I'm a, a, a zealous proponent of agents. I think that that well, I actually went into my blog and I started thinking about whether insurance is a commodity. Is it, we all talk about it being a commodity, but nobody ever very well defined it. And what I finally decided after about seven entries on the blog, which you can read online at hcandridge.com is that I think risk-bearing may be a commodity, but I think risk-bearing without the benefit of risk management advice is practically worthless. We did a whole project, a strategic planning process for the fishing industry, which is under some severe distress. And in that, we compared fish to insurance. And buying insurance over the Internet is kind of like giving someone a fish off the boat. And they don't know how to clean it. They don't know how to cook it. They don't know how to take care of it. It's not really a lot of good to them. Great analogy, Howard. Sure. Great analogy. I, I think insurance the same way. The other factor that really we've identified that's unique or pretty unique, quite unique about an insurance product is it's impossible to evaluate your purchase decision until it's too late to do anything about it which creates a strong need for someone who has the knowledge to help you structure the way the insurance works. We said that buying insurance over the Internet with no advice is like buying an old fire extinguisher at a yard sale and putting it in your kitchen in case you have a grease fire. <laughs> you really never know what it's going to work until you have the fire, and then it's a bit late to make an evaluation about purchase. Great, great. You you build great analogies, and you know, um, a lot of young agents, uh, a lot of agents altogether, but when I say young agents, I say, you know, I say consider that 45 to 40 years or less, and maybe only in the business, five to, to seven years or less, but those analogies really really help us understand what you're talking about. And I, I think that's fantastic. Now, one thing that I had, um, Howard, that, that one uh, gentleman um, put on the comment into relationship what you said is is that he agreed that, that maybe um, a fee-based would be better based on the fact that he would be compensated due to the work that he had to do, the risk analysis, the um, back-end room uh, work of the customer service, and just the things that we need to provide our clients. But he said at the same time, you know, a lot of, 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 of uh, the public would not necessarily understand where they were coming from and how he was basing it and would maybe in the end make his policy more in a lot of instances, his premium more, and they would maybe go down the road um, to somebody who's back on the commission basis. But, you know, I had another guy comment on that, so it was a comment off of your comment. Um, uh, it was a comment off the comment off of your comment that the guy said, the other person said, well, you know, maybe you're not selling your value because the price is not... Um, is 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 not as important, and we all hear that a lot. But you know the the example that you gave in here, um, stating here earlier that likewise we write a policy for five thousand dollars in premium and have an, and have to issue three hundred uh, certificates of insurance. 
and we write other policies where we get 50000 in commission for just submitting an application. And you're not sure that this is the appropriate use of the consumer's premium dollars or reflects, or reflects the proper compensation to the distribution in, entity. So that's what they're kind of referring to right there is the fact that that person who only makes 5000 or on a 5000 premium, let's say it's 10% commission, um, just making that up, you, you would say $500, but they have to add the $300 in premium. Well, that are 300 certificates, excuse me. So you can kind of see that that agent is kind of saying, well, that would be one where I would need to add on another 1000 or $2,000 fee. But that totally puts them out of the ballgame. You know, I mean... I, how do you how do you That's how do you correct. combat that? What what would you say to something like that? That person who commented on there, Howard. One of the, one of the issues that I think becomes apparent as we think this through is that the way insurance is sold and the way the commission structure is that the advice is bundled with the product. In my mind, there's a couple of approaches that the direct internet has taken. One approach is they've tried to denigrate the value of the agent altogether. We save you 15%, and we call it a public service. The other approach is the approach that they've tried to give the product itself a persona. They put it in a store. They put it in a box. And I noticed recently on the commercials, the box is starting to talk to you. <laughs> the problem with that approach, in my mind, is that that product cannot care. A machine cannot care. The only thing that can care is a human being. Very true. And we need that human interaction on a continual basis because there's so much more to our communications than just the mere facts. I think the, the, the asymmetrical knowledge problem rears its head. The value of an agent is that the agent has a sphere of knowledge while the customer only has a slice of knowledge. And a lot of that knowledge really doesn't have to do with the product or the contract. It has to do with the external environment that surrounds the contract and what can happen to a client if they don't realize all of the externalities to the purchase of their insurance product. That is very true. That is very, very true. That's, you know, sometimes we live, and I think a lot of agents can feel this, we live in our own little world, we run our agencies the way we want. That's why we're independent. Um, but you don't realize sometimes someone like yourself or some of the other uh, people we had on that they're seeing many different scenarios out there. And so sometimes we don't we don't necessarily think about these things until we hear someone like yourself talk, Howard. Not a plug for agents' influence, but that's why we created this platform because it's important that we realize and we get out of our own little world and listen to people like John Fear and, and Gene Regario and the Howard Camdage. I mean, those those are those are very very important things that you say. Let me ask you this, and 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 kind of going a little bit different direction, not too much. When you're out there and you're talking to agencies, um, you know, one thing I get a lot, and I believe you know, we do have an antitrust policy, so we don't want to mention companies' names in relations to commissions or anything like that. You're very familiar, obviously, with your expertise in that. But what are you seeing out there as far as a standard commission given to the agent in a split, like a 50-50 renewal new business? Um, what are some of – so first question is, what are some of those those standards that you're seeing out there so that other agencies can say that? Um, are you seeing anything wild out there to where you're seeing you know 70 to 80% paid on one end 
and maybe a lower on the other end on new business? And then maybe what is some of your recommendations you give some of your clients? Well, I, I think I will turn it on its head a little bit, Jason. Please do. Because I think where I do a lot of agency appraisals and I look at a lot of different agencies and I look at a lot of income statements and I've got clients that generate earnings. When I talk about earnings, I'm going to talk about what we call EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and, and amortization. Thank you for I'm clarifying. I'm really talking about cash flow. Okay. I said thank you for clarifying that. So thank you. And, and I'm really talking about cash flow. Okay. What do you have for free cash flow before you look at your taxes, your depreciation, your amortization, all the other factors that are tax adjustments that we put in this? If you really look at, at the income statement, I've got clients that are flowing off anywhere from 10 to 15% free cash all the way up to about 43 to 45% free cash, given the, 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 the way their income statement runs, the way they service their clients, their automation expenses, all their agency expenses. So I think that net bottom line you typically only have about 35 to a maximum of absolute maximum of 45%, which is a really anemic organization that's not consumed by the organization before owner compensation or producer compensation. So somebody that's paying 60% new business commission may, it may want to pay it on new business to give the the producer the incentive to come into it, but they've really only got about 45 cents at the max they can afford to spend. Okay. I think that speaks too to the fact that I think we have a very narrow view in this industry of what we're selling. We tend to look at risk and we need to be more cognizant that, that our definition of risk is very narrow. For instance, just in an, an easy example to understand, if we were selling a financial services product, and I don't want to go on down that road too far, but if we were, we might be able to take a sale that nets $150 in commission, and everybody gets upset because they don't get enough commission, and, and bring in another $1,000 of commission to accompany that and solidify the relationship with the client by broadening our perspective of what we're selling to be more comprehensive. Gotcha. Okay. I think that, that there are ways to innovate. I also think that, that there are a lot of things that our industry could do to innovate that we're not doing, and we're not seeing them. I give me an example. Give me an example of that, Howard. What do you? What do you? Give me a couple examples of how we could innovate. Well. Uh, uh, one of my uh, my examples. I teach a lot of ethics courses, and the I'm a, a trainer for the Institute for Global Ethics as well. And we don't realize we've restructured the industry in, with the use of reinsurance, and it's created a lot different dynamics, which is longer than we want to go into on this call. Okay. But for instance, years ago, somebody used to come in with a simple homeowner's product, and the coverage A amount the insured would come in and dictate the coverage A amount, and we would sell them a policy based on that coverage A amount. Then we would have no perception of what the replacement cost of, was of the house. 
until after the claim occurred. Then we'd go out, and through the insurance value clause, we'd give the insurer a haircut. Well, that's completely fair. But then you get into the situation where now we force people to go through a replacement cost estimator. And when we go through the replacement cost estimator, we come out with a value. When the insured came through the door in the, in the first instance and said, I want a homeowner's for X, and we accepted X, that's truly a unilateral contract. But when we then turn around and we proscribe the amount of insurance that we think the insured could should carry, and the insured acquiesces and writes us a check for the premium, which is the reason that we're doing this, when they do that, at the very least, we've gone to a bilateral contract because we've got a promise that's been made on both sides of the aisle. As well, our insured faces two kinds of risk. We say in all the textbooks that we ensure the chances that a loss will occur. Not only does the insured face the risk that a, chance may, a loss may occur, they also face the potential risk of volatility in the outcome. And when we dictate what the replacement cost should be, I think we really lose our right not to undertake that volatility. Gotcha. And that's something I don't think we really want here. Yeah, interesting. I, You know, I just... Something I don't ever think about. Once again, I live in my own little world here in my office, and and uh, wow, that's fantastic, Howard. Wait, <laughs> that is an interesting way to look at that. So, well, thank you. And it's it, but it's true. If you look at insurance, it's a type of an option contract. One party sells the right to another party to put an adverse event within specified contractual parameters onto the maker of the option for a premium over a given period of time. So if you look at it that way and compare it to a traded option, the way we sell it and then put a limit on it without any flexibility in the limit would be just like an option trader. We say, can I, I challenge my students and say, can you buy an insurance policy on the value of your Intel stuff? And typically they will say no. And I say, well, wait a minute. Can I insure the value of my Intel stuff? Well, the answer is yes. I can buy an option, either a put or a call. And if I hold this contract up to the option rules, the way we do it by putting a limit on the policy would be just like an insured buying a, 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 an option, a, a somebody holding, excuse me, I'm sorry to trip over my word, somebody holding a 1,000 shares of Intel and they sell the right for a year, a leap, a long-term equity anticipation security, and they buy a leap or sell, sell a leap on that for a $30,000 premium they make over the year. And it gives someone else the right to buy or gives them the right to buy or sell that stock for that $100 premium. And a month later, an engineer from Intel finds a way to speed up a computer chip by a 1,000 times, and Intel doubles and triples then it splits, and it doubles, and it triples again. And the, the, the purchaser of the option comes back and says, hey, I want to sell my option. And the option trader going, oh, wait a minute. We didn't know it was going to go up that much. Gotcha. We really don't. I, I, I look at 
three kinds of behavior, ethical behavior, unethical behavior, and aethical behavior. We don't even understand the promises that we're making. We've really entered, if we look at it technically, if we properly value it, into a fiduciary relationship. And it's my understanding there are some insurance companies that recognize this in the way they make their policies, Jason. Okay. We need more innovation like that. Yeah, you are right. That that was a good example taking that over to the stock and how it how it over and, and relates, especially with the financial services. Now, thank you. Now, now, yeah. Howard, to to kind of to try and kind of wrap this up a little bit because um, don't want to take too much of the uh, callers' times and um, you know, we've been we've been going at this now about twenty three twenty four minutes and uh, I I don't know if we can pack any more value as possible in okay. twenty three or twenty four minutes. No, I'm not saying for you. It's just that. Um, you've provided a great amount of, of of value just for the people listening, and 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 I really greatly appreciate that. One thing that you wrapped your comment up, which I thought was pretty fascinating, is you said I think com- uh, commission compensation is necessary, but the underlying problem is commissions are in no way linked to agent performance. I think a ton of agents could feel that, except as the volume of premium dollars generated by the agent. I would say over half of the listeners or the people who commented out there uh, echoed that same exact thought. Uh, contingent commissions are nearly the only form of incenting, in, incentive excuse me, influencing performance. And contingent commissions have been attacked as creating unfair bias. That's very true from the consumer, especially with the uh, Spitzers back in, uh, what was that, 04 and 05. Um, and then the inverse relationship of commission compensation to the goal of reducing the cost of the risk to insurers, gen- our consumers, generates a clear conflict of interest among the parties. And it does, as you stated above, you know, there was the one $300,000 account that you came in, did the proper risk analysis, and you lost a lot of commission off of it, but you were actually doing what was in best interest of the client. But how many agents out there are actually doing that? I'm not saying that there's a ton, but there's a lot who have to say, I mean, let's be honest, I was making 55000 in commission, now I'm only making seventeen. if I do this risk analysis, but it's what's best for the client. And I think that's where we get caught in a huge huge ethical um in for in um uh uh, uh you know just a uh, issue i think that that's a I completely completely agree and the problem with correcting it jason okay is that that in my mind the net somebody did post something that i haven't seen on the site to me and said they agreed with my comments and that the commissions would shrink well the problem is if we address this with some other kind of compensation the net result is that the income statement is thin so much that we're going to drive a lot of the agents right out of the business if we're not careful. And if we do that, we're going to derive, they're going to deprive the very people that need the advice and the personal lines are in there, especially from the availability of an agent. And I'm not too sure that that's a good thing. It isn't. Now, if you had a commission of 55000 coming in and you cut the cost of the insured uh, you know, dramatically and it lowered it to 17000 as you state in your example, would it not be ethical, though, to sit in front of the client and say, hey, look, I've saved you, you know, uh, you, in, in your example, you saved them over 300000 in annual premium, which, wow, that's a whopper to me and I think the majority of agencies out there. 
Um, is it not fair to negotiate with the client and say, here's where I was on commission, here's what I'm going to do, but I'm going to save you this much money. Is there an agreement that we can work out to maybe meet in the middle? Because them still giving up some of that money as a fee base to you, they're still saving, you know, $280,000, $290,000 if you threw another ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 fee on it. I mean, what, what what's the ethical standards in that? I mean, is that is that proper? Is that okay? I know a lot of agents think no, that well, do that. In, in a lot of places, and up until the last few years here, with the NAIC model laws, it's a little bit better. But in a lot of places, that would be illegal. Okay. And it's particularly illegal for me to enter into a consulting contract with a client that that I am paid marginally by the amount of money that I save them. That's considered to be not only a conflict of interest and not only ethical, but illegal. Okay. 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 I think that's a good question because I think a lot of agents sit around and think about that. And I think they think about that. I mean, in that exact scenario, I save them 300000 my commission goes from 55000 down to seventeen. It just seems likely that you could sit down, have a business deal with the client and say, hey, why don't we kind of meet in the middle here? But you're right. I mean, I guess that's something that everybody has to explain, has to check out their state laws for. So you are correct. Check out the state laws. And also, I think we need a better model. We need a better me- measure than just an economic model. This, it's purely economic, the way we perceive it. And that's just like the price-based selling model. We need value-based selling model. I agree. I agree. I'm not saying I know how to do that, Jason. But right, and and you and you state and you state that in 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 the comments that you you're not you know you 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 start off right at the beginning say I do not have the answer to what may be right for the industry. What is right is for everyone will differ depending on the segment of the industry within which discussing uh, the, the discussion is occurring. I also echo the well-stated comments that commission delusions in the forums such as this may be constructed as price fixing and ultimately contrary to our antitrust laws. That That's something that we try to stay away from because I think that whenever we're keeping it inside of the agency and talking about how things are working there, I think that this could only benefit the laws, benefit us eth- um, ethically, and benefit our relationship with the carriers because there's a lot of not just agents on the, listening to this, Howard, but there's carriers. And they live in their own little world too, you know, and that's what, once again, not a plug for uh, agent influence. It's bringing us out of our little home, bringing us out of our little world and let's let's get this stuff out on the table and let's talk about it. And so, well, Howard, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. And is there anything you kind of want to fi- uh, finish with? I mean, is there anything you just kind of want to say um, a closing out here? Super. I'll post again with some of these comments if you want. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to have a forum to to say what's on my mind. I say it in my own classes, but it doesn't have a broad reach. And I think that. I may not have answers, but I do think we need to think in a little broader terms than we do. Absolutely. And because we are independent, there's not necessarily one answer out there, but there's answers that people are listening to this saying, you know, I don't I don't necessarily agree with Howard, but there's just as many people out there saying, this is what I needed to know. This is what I need to do. This is an, a way I need to look at it. So, Howard, I appreciate your time again. Um, uh, once again, his name is Howard Camdidge. Oh, uh, that's with an M. I always say it with an N, and I apologize for that. It, it's an, an N, yes. That's yes, right. yes, and it's H uh, E Camdidge. Um, he is a consultant, and if I'm correct, you're out of Maine. I'm sorry, I didn't say that right. Is that right? That's correct, Portland, oh, Maine. 
Okay, beautiful country up there. I actually have never been there, but everybody I meet, that's one thing that you guys talk about the most. I see it on movies. It looks absolutely beautiful, and I hope to take my uh, wife and family there one day. So, Howard, I'm going to go ahead and close this up, and uh, I thank you once again for your time. You're welcome, Jason. I look forward to talking with you soon. So once again, everybody out there, this is the Agent Influence podcast that we have going on. Uh, obviously, you've probably found us maybe in different venues, but we will be on iTunes. Uh, that's going to be our main platform. I'm hoping to kick it out to other things such as Amazon. I myself am what I call a Google geek, and so I had to sign up and do all the stuff for iTunes just to get on here. So I'm, I'm looking for other ways as well to be able to spread the message. What's important is that we take messages such as Howard's and we get it out there in the industry as I kind of stated. Also, I just want to throw out there that if we do have an anti-policy, uh, antitrust policy, excuse me, it is on the website. Please uh, respect that during our comments. Um, also, uh, also realize that we have a comment policy right next to that. These are both up in the navigation bar at agentsinfluence.com. Also, if you could, make sure that you sign up for our newsletter. We want to make sure that we're able to deliver uh, the information to you in the best efficient manner for you and for us as well because uh, we've got a lot of agents signing up already. I'm actually pretty blown away by it. Uh, my computer guy, uh, Brian Amp Appleton, behind the scenes has been telling me the analytics, and I, it's blowing me away. And, 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 and that's what we're doing here. This isn't about Jason. This isn't about agents. This isn't about uh, companies or CSRs. This is about everybody being involved in the industry. And uh, so I think I've got a couple more agents that I'd like to get on. Uh, we've had one agent and two consultants, and I think the consultants are very, very valuable. The agents seem to only have their own perspective, which is still a good thing. So once again, I'm going to close this up, and uh, you are on, so please remember to come on and comment. That's the only way we're going to be able to create conversation, and I ask you just to tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This is Jason Cass with Agents Influence. Talk to you again soon.